0: Hey guys, Debs here, and welcome to another episode of Movies with Debs. Since May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, I thought it'd be fun to talk about the five Asian American films you need to know about. Please note that I didn't say five films I recommend, because my intent here isn't to talk about the movies that I personally enjoyed or the ones that I like, but rather to really pick the five movies that have had a significant impact on Asian-American representation. So you can actually be the judge of whether or not these are good movies, but it's unquestionable the impact and significance each of these films has had. So let's get to it. Oh wait, actually, one quick note. If you're curious about Asian-Americans in entertainment, you can head on over to my Instagram at Debs underscore speaking, where for the month of May, I'm celebrating Asian Pacific American Heritage Month by highlighting the trailblazers and iconic Asian Americans in Hollywood. All right, now let's actually get to it. Movie number one, Flower Drum Song. Released in 1961, Flower Drum Song was the first major Hollywood feature to have a predominantly Asian cast. It was a film adaptation of a Broadway musical written by Rodgers and Hammerstein, which was actually based on a novel written by Chinese-American author Chin Yang Li. So the movie is about Mei Li, a Chinese girl who illegally enters the U.S. with her father to find the man she has been arranged to marry. But her fiancé doesn't want to honor the arrangement because he has fallen in love with a showgirl who works at his San Francisco Chinatown nightclub. So what does he do? He tries to convince another family to take Maile in as their bride, and what ensues is a musical comedy about love, family, and the cultural differences between the East and West. When Flower Drum Song was released, it was a decent hit. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, and it performed fairly well at the box office. But while people hailed this movie as a sign of racial progress, because of its Asian cast, this movie was actually a prime example of Hollywood's racial ignorance, thanks to its rampant ethnic washing. Some of the singing voices for the film's Asian characters were Caucasian singers, and one of the key characters was actually played by an African-American actress. And even though the characters are Chinese, the main cast was primarily Japanese. Now, some of you might be thinking for the last one, well, what's the problem here? Why can't one Asian play another Asian? After all, when you have white people playing white roles, their ancestry can come from all over Europe. Well, in this particular case, China and Japan have had a lot of bad blood throughout history. So it's actually a terribly insensitive move to have them play each other. That's why when Disney was creating the live-action version of Mulan, one of the film's consultants emphasized to the director that she could not cast just any Asian for Mulan and specifically called out not casting a Japanese because that would really turn off Chinese audiences. So while Flower Drum Song was remarkable in that it was the first major Hollywood film to have a predominantly Asian cast, it was actually evidence more of Hollywood's existing racism Than progress. Furthermore, the movie was written and directed by white men, so there were definitely some cringeworthy racial stereotypes projected into the film. So after Flower Drum Song, when would be the next time that we'd see a major Hollywood movie with an Asian cast? The answer? Over 30 years later. Which takes us to movie number two, The Joy Luck Club. Based on Amy Tan's best-selling novel of the same name, the 1993 film The Joy Luck Club tells the story of four Chinese immigrant mothers and their relationships with their Chinese-American daughters. Like Flower Drum Song, the story is set in San Francisco, and similar themes of family, love, and Eastern-Western cultural tensions also appear. But unlike Flower Drum Song, The Joy Luck Club gives a much more serious and authentic treatment of these topics, probably because the Asians were in full creative control. Amy Tan helped co-write the screenplay to keep it true to her novel, and the director was Chinese-American Wayne Wang, who had directed other previous films about the Chinese-American experience. Also, most of the main characters were played by ethnically Chinese people, So there weren't any crazy instances of the ethnic washing we saw in Flower Drum song. So it was not easy getting this movie made. And the primary obstacle it faced foreshadows the same challenge many future Asian American films would encounter. Basically the pushback from studios that there just isn't an audience for a movie with an Asian cast telling an Asian story. Executives were concerned no one would want to see The Joylet Club because they strongly believed a film could only be successful if it had a famous A-list cast. Or in other words, a white cast. But at the time, it did seem like there was some truth to that. The movie's director, Wayne Wing, was initially hesitant to direct because his previous films about Chinese Americans had failed to draw in major audiences. But this movie was eventually made with the support of Walt Disney Studios, and it ended up being a moderate success. It received generally positive reviews from critics, and it did pretty well at the box office. But there wasn't anything record-breaking about it. Which probably explains why, despite the initial excitement over the better-than-expected performance of the film, there wasn't a sudden Explosion of interest in making more Asian-American Hollywood films. If anything, it's only moderate success seemed to prove the executives' assumptions that the big money still lies in your typical white star-studded Hollywood film. That's probably why we had to wait another 25 years before we'd see another major film with a predominantly Asian cast. Which takes us to movie number three, Crazy Rich Asians. Based on the best-selling book of the same name by Kevin Kwan, the 2018 romantic comedy Crazy Rich Asians is about Rachel Chu, a Chinese-American girl who is going to Singapore to attend her boyfriend's best friend's wedding. But what she doesn't know is that her boyfriend is actually the son of one of the wealthiest families in Singapore. And every rich girl there has her eyes on him. So, Crazy Rich Asians was a massive hit. It became the highest grossing romantic comedy in a decade, hauling in over $238 million worldwide. And it was also very critically acclaimed. It received two Golden Globe nominations one for Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy and also won for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. The entire cast was also nominated for Outstanding Performance of a Cast in a Motion Picture at the SAG Awards. Its huge success completely disproved the existing sentiment in Hollywood that Asian American films don't have an audience. You know, I think it's interesting. I think that as minorities, we often have to overprove ourselves. We can't just be a moderate success, we have to be a smashing success before anyone gives us a chance. It's just like how it wasn't until Black Panther became not only a record-breaking box office hit, but also a major critical darling, that Hollywood started taking Black representation seriously. And we saw a spike in the number of Black characters and stories on screen. I think that's why Crazy Rich Asians led to the watershed moment that everyone was waiting for. Because this movie crushed it at the box office, and it was also really popular with critics. So it completely upended the assumption that no one wants to see Asian films, and that no one would like to see Asian films. Contrast that with the moderate success of The Joy Luck Club, which meant we had to wait another 25 years for another major Asian American film. But it's also important to note that Crazy Rich Asians' impact was actually further buttressed by two other successful films that came out around the same time. Searching, which was a movie starring John Cho as a Korean-American father trying to find his missing daughter, and To All the Boys I Loved Before, which is a Netflix movie starring Lana Condor as a half-Korean-American girl in a high school romance. Searching was an unexpected hit, and To All the Boys became one of the most popular rom-coms of all time on Netflix, All three of these films also came out in August 2018, which is why people dubbed that month Asian August, because Asian representation had not only reached an all-time high, but it was actually being met with record success, which meant Hollywood had to start taking all of this seriously. So fast forward to 2019, where thanks to the trailblazing films that came out the year before, we saw a huge increase in the number of Asian-American roles and stories on screen. Which takes us to the fourth movie I want to highlight, Always Be My Maybe. Always Be My Maybe is a Netflix original film starring Asian-American stand-up comedian Ali Wong and Asian-American actor Randall Park. This romantic comedy is about two childhood friends, Sasha and Marcus, who have a falling out during their teenage years, and it isn't until they become adults that fate reconnects them and forces them to confront the complicated feelings they have for each other. So what makes this movie significant? Well, first, it expands the definition of Asian American representation by being one of the first movies to buck the model minority stereotype. Asians have often been viewed and portrayed in the media as goody-goody two-shoes, A-plus students, doctors, lawyers, etc. But this movie shows that that's not the only kind of Asian out there, and there are Asians who choose not to be a doctor, who choose what most people consider unconventional career paths, and who also engage in behaviors like smoking weed and having flings. So this movie was significant in that it pushed for diversity in the kinds of Asians we see on screen but second this movie also highlights the rising role of streamers in pushing for more diverse content honestly it's questionable whether a movie like always be my maybe could have been made the traditional hollywood way because one it's a rom-com and box office returns are usually not that great for this genre so studios deprioritize them and two it's not based on existing IP. I think it's interesting to note that the past three films I mentioned, which all went through the traditional Hollywood system, were all based on something that was already popular, like a musical or a book. That's because Hollywood Studios' businesses heavily depend on box office returns, so they want to make a movie knowing it will be a hit at the box office. And one way to ensure that is to make the movie off of something that is already a bestseller. That's why we see tons of adaptations, remakes, and franchises from Hollywood studios. But streamers, they operate on a completely different business model. They aren't reliant on box office performance, and many of them have strong financial backing. So there's more flexibility in the kinds of content they can create, and they can afford to be more experimental and forward-thinking, while Hollywood studios just want to play it safe and stick to old-school assumptions. So Always Be My Maybe is interesting because it not only defies the model minority stereotype, but it also indicates the increasingly important role of streamers in pushing for diverse representation. Oh, and if you're wondering, yes, the movie did very well. So well that Netflix actually made a rare move and disclosed viewership stats to illustrate its success. In the four weeks following its release, Always Be My Maybe was viewed by 32 million subscribed households. To put that in perspective, that's roughly 20% of Netflix's total subscribers at the time. So, the fifth and final movie I wanted to highlight is another 2019 film, The Farewell. Written and directed by Lulu Wang, starring Aquafina, the breakout star from Crazy Rich Asians, The Farewell is about an American-born Chinese girl who returns to China to bid her terminally ill grandmother a final goodbye. The catch? Her grandmother doesn't know she's dying, and the family does not plan on telling her due to cultural reasons, so they actually stage a wedding to give the family an excuse to have one last reunion. The movie focuses on a lot of tensions between Eastern and Western values as the girl really struggles with having to keep this a secret from her grandma. So The Farewell was a huge hit. It actually had the highest opening per theater average of 2019, beating out major box office draws like The Avengers Endgame. And it also received many award nominations and wins, with Aquafina taking home a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. But what makes this film significant and also different from its predecessors is that it's an Asian American movie that is primarily not in English. In fact, 70% of the film is spoken in Mandarin, and that was initially viewed as a problem by investors when Lulu Wang was trying to get financing for this film. Investors wanted her to whitewash the characters, to whitewash the story, to have it be in English, and to make the plot more dramatic so that it would appeal to a wider audience. But what's most interesting is that even a Chinese investor, whom Wang assumed would get it, actually told her to make the main character white. It wasn't until Wang shared her story on the podcast, This American Life, that a film producer reached out to her and agreed to make the movie the way she envisioned it. And from there, the rest is history. If Always Be My Maybe pushed for diversity in the types of Asian characters that are portrayed, then The Farewell was significant in that it pushed for diversity in the way those stories could be told, particularly through language. And it showed that having a movie not be in English isn't a disadvantage, but rather a way to make the story even more authentic and powerful. It was also in the same year that The Farewell was released that the Oscar-winning Korean film Parasite also came out. Charming viewers all around the world and proving that foreign languages don't prevent anyone from enjoying and connecting with the movie if it tells a truly great and authentic story. So it's inspiring to see through these five films the progress made in Asian American representation. We went from having one major film every 20 to 30 years, with like Flower Drum Song and then Joy Luck Club and then Crazy Rich Asians, to now more frequent releases of Asian American films that have resonated with a wide audience. We also went from dealing with whitewashing and problematic stereotyping to now more authentic and diverse portrayals of the Asian-American experience, like in Always Be My Maybe and The Farewell. And it seems like the momentum of progress isn't stopping. In 2020, we've already seen movies that are continuing to grow the number and kinds of Asian-American stories told on screen, like Netflix's Tiger Tale, which focuses on the immigrant experience, The Half of It, which is about Asian LGBTQ youth, and the Netflix series Never Have I Ever, which also bucks the model minority stereotype and highlights the experience of growing up Indian American. We're also hearing more about major Hollywood features with Asian leads or predominantly Asian casts, like the upcoming Disney live-action version of Mulan and the Marvel movie Shang-Chi. So here's to hoping that things will only continue to go up from here and that we will truly be making steps forward and not taking any steps backward. So that's it for today. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you want more movie content, you can find me on Instagram at Debs underscore speaking. Thanks for tuning in and I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.